Chapter 22 of The Emancipation of South America by Bartolomé Mitre, translated by William Pilling. This LibriVox recording is in the public domain. Recording by Piotr Nater. Cochrane, Callao, Valdivia. 1819-1820. The new admiral, when hoisting his pennant on the O'Higgins, might, after the manner of the old Dutch admirals, have nailed a broom to his masthead, his commission was to sweep the spanish fleet from the pacific this ideal hero was one of the first sailors of the first navy of the world and became indisputably the first in the naval annals of three nations of south america yet he never was master of his own destiny he founded no school which should endue posterity with his spirit with great faculties, both moral and intellectual, he had no political talent, there was no method in what he did. His exploits were performed under many flags, and in both the old and in the new world, but he made no country his own. He left his native land with curses, he parted from Chile, from Peru, from Brazil, and from Greece in anger, stigmatizing them as ungrateful. He valued his deeds in gold, as though they had been merchandise. Yet in the abstract he was a lover of liberty. He placed his sword and his genius only at the service of some noble cause. On the 14th of January, 1819, he sailed from Valparaiso with four ships, the San Martin, O'Higgins, Lautaro, and Chacabuco, leaving Rear Admiral Blanco Encalada to follow him. On the 10th of February he was off Callao. The Bay of Callao is one of the largest on the South Pacific. Near its centre stands the city of Callao, on the shore at the foot of the coast range of the Cordillera, three miles from the pass through it, which gives access to the beautiful valley of Rimac, in which stands the city of Lima. The port of Callao is a roadstead shut in by two islands. One of them, named San Lorenzo, is seven miles in length, and shelters the roadstead from all winds except those which blow from the west. Off its southern point lies a smaller island called the Fronton. The open water between the two islands is the main entrance to the inner bay, but between the Fronton and the land there is a much narrower passage called the Boqueron, in which there are only five fathoms of water and many rocks. To the north of the island of San Lorenzo lies a sandbank of the mouth of the river Rimac, which is called the Bocanegra. The old walls of the city of Callao were destroyed by an earthquake in 1746. In their place, three great circular castles were erected, crowned with lofty towers. Between them stretched the batteries of the arsenal and of San Joaquin, mounted with 165 heavy guns, which swept the whole of the roadstead. Under their fire, the Spanish squadron lay at anchor, consisting of the Esmeralda and Venganza, 44-gun frigates, the corvette Sebastiana of 36 guns, the brigs Pezuela, Maipo and Portillo, each of 18 guns, the schooner Montezuma of 7 guns, the Aranthazu of 5 guns, and 26 gunboats, besides 6 armed merchant vessels. The 28th of February was the day fixed upon by Cochrane for the attack. The same day Pezuela had arranged for a review of the squadron and a sham fight. At daybreak a thick fog covered the bay, and the viceroy embarked on the brick Maipo, the better to watch the manoeuvres. At eleven o'clock, as the fog commenced to lift, the sailors of the Maipo, then near to the island of San Lorenzo, saw a fine ship flying the Spanish flag skirting the sandbank of the Bocanegra. 
the Viceroy wished to speak to her, but the commander of the brig refused to go nearer as he would lose the wind. Pezuela was thus saved from falling a prisoner to Cochrane. This strange ship was the O'Higgins, which sailed on into the bay and captured the gunboat, followed only by the Lautaro, the other two ships being unable to enter the harbour for want of wind. Favoured by the fog, the two ships anchored within range of the batteries, hoisted the Chilean flag and opened fire, but at nightfall slowly retired, with a few killed and wounded, and some damage to spars and rigging. The next day the two ships again approached and drove the gunboats under shelter of the batteries, the Spaniards not daring to do more than remain on the defensive when they heard who was in command. Cochrane had hoped to take the enemy by surprise, but having failed to do so, he now tried to repeat his exploit of the Basque Roads, for which purpose he took possession of the island of San Lorenzo, and set to work to make two fire-ships. On the night of the 22nd of March he engaged the attention of the batteries with his four ships, while one of his fire-ships drifted down on to the Spanish squadron but the fire-ship ran aground and was struck by a shot from batteries when the wind dying away he was forced to leave her to sink on the twenty fourth he again attacked and succeeded in capturing the schooner montezuma and some merchant vessels and gunboats the o'higgins at some distance from her consorts was becalmed in a fog and the spaniards put off from shore in boats with the intention of boarding her Fortunately, a light wind sprang up before they reached her, and they were seen in time and beaten off. Cochrane then retired to the neighboring port of Huacho in search of fresh water, and was there joined by Blanco and Calada, with the Galvarino and the Pueyrredon. Leaving the rear admiral with four ships to blockade Callao, Cochrane sailed northwards, distributing proclamations from O'Higgins and San Martin, and also one from himself among the people along the coast at one place he landed and captured some brass cannon then returning to callao he found that blanco and calada had gone south in search of provisions and seeing nothing more was to be done at present he followed him cochrane had brought with him from england a mechanic who had worked with congrave at the arsenal at woolwich he now set him at work to make rockets and made trial of them in the bay of valparaiso expressing himself as perfectly satisfied with them government also furnished him with a nine-inch mortar which had been sent from buenos aires and a twenty-eight gun frigate purchased in the united states and named the independencia was added to the squadron a brigade of four hundred marines was also organized under the command of an english officer of experience named charles with major miller as his second the Pueyrredon, the Intrepido, and the Montezuma were sent southward on a cruise in search of some Spanish ships which were reported to be on the way from Europe, and on the 12th of September Cochrane and Blanco Encalada again sailed from Valparaiso with six ships of war, and two of the transports which had been captured by Blanco Encalada on his first cruise, and which were intended for fire-ships. Cochrane had such faith in the terrible power of his new rockets that he was confident of success, and wrote to O'Higgins that at eight o'clock on the night of the 24th the Spanish squadron at Callao would be in flames. On the 24th of September he anchored off the island of San Lorenzo, and on the 30th sent a challenge on shore to the enemy to come out and fight ship to ship. 
The Spaniards, who had in the meantime greatly strengthened their defences by surrounding their ships with a boom, and had prepared furnaces to heat shot, returned a laconic refusal. This time the attack was to be made by four pontoon batteries, one carrying the mortar, two carrying rocket tubes, and the other the ammunition. On the night on the 2nd of October, Miller led the van in the Galvarino, with the mortar in tow. The Pueyrredon followed, towing the ammunition. Then came the other two pontoons towed by the Araucano, Captain Hind, and the Independencia, Captain Charles. All the crews on the pontoons wore life belts. The action was commenced by the mortar, which opened fire at less than 800 yards distance from the boom and sunk a gunboat. But after throwing several shells into the batteries, the mortar had broke away from its bearings and no more could be done. The distance was too great for the rockets, which fell harmlessly into the water, and under the heavy fire from the batteries it was impossible to run closer in. A red-hot shot struck the pontoon commanded by Hind and caused an explosion by which twelve men were badly burned. The Galvarino was struck several times, and Lieutenant Bailey was cut in two by a shot. At dawn the pontoons were recalled. In a subsequent attack an attempt was made to destroy the boom by a fire-ship, but the wind dying away she became a target for the enemy guns. She was already sinking when the match was lighted by Lieutenant Morgall, and she blew up before reaching the boom. The rockets were found to be so inefficient that Cochrane desisted for the time from any further attempt. Note. It has been stated that the filling of the tubes was, from motives of parsimony, entrusted to Spanish prisoners, who, as was found on examination, had embraced every opportunity of inserting handfuls of sand, sawdust, and even manure at intervals in the tubes, thus impending the progress of combustion, whilst in the majority of instances they had so thoroughly mixed the neutralizing matter with the ingredients supplied that the charge would not ignite at all, the result being complete failure in the object of the expedition. Autobiography of a Seaman by Lord MacDonald End of note. The day after the last attack, a large ship was seen making for the port, which on sighting the Chilean squadron sheered off again. Cochrane followed, but taking her for a whaler, he returned to his anchorage and afterwards sailed to Arica. On his return he again saw the same ship, which sent a boat on shore. This ship was the fifty-gun frigate Prueba, one of the vessels which had been reported to be on the way from Europe. Three had left Spain in company bound for Callao, but one being found to be unseaworthy had put back on reaching the line, and the other had foundered off Cape Horn. Cochrane decided upon pursuing the Prueba, but as he had many sick, he first sent Blanco and Calada with them to Valparaiso in the San Martin and Independencia, and dispatched Captain Guise with the Lautaro, the Galvarino, and a transport with 350 marines on board to Pisco, with orders to land there and procure a supply of fresh provisions. He then, with the other three ships, sailed for Guayaquil, where he captured two transports, each of which mounted twenty guns. From his prisoners he learned that the Prueba had been there, but after sending her guns on shore to lighten her, had gone up the river, and was now at anchor in shallow water, under the protection of some shore batteries. Soon after this he was rejoined by Guise, who had successfully accomplished the task allotted to him, but with some loss. He had found Pisco, 
garrisoned by a force of 800 men, who were driven out by the marines at the point of the bayonet after some hard fighting, in which Colonel Charles was killed and Miller received three wounds. After holding the town for four days, he re-embarked the marines and sailed for Guayaquil. Cochrane then sent the Lautaro to Valparaiso in charge of the prizes, and leaving the Pueyrredon and the Galvarino at the island of Puna, which commands the Gulf of Guayaquil, to keep watch over the Prueba, he sailed for the port of Santa, which lies to the north of Callao. Here he was soon joined by other ships of the squadron, which he sent back to Valparaiso, and sailed away south by himself in the O'Higgins. He was sorely disappointed with the ill success of his attempts on Callao, and would not return to Valparaiso till he could return in triumph. He was turning over in his mind a daring scheme equal to any that he had so far accomplished. Pacing to and fro one day on his quarter-deck, as the good ship sailed steadily on towards the colder regions of the south, he met Miller, who, in spite of his wounds, had taken command of the marines on the O'Higgins, and asked him, what would they say if with this one ship I took Valdivia? As Miller made no answer, he added, they would call me a lunatic. Lunatic or not, this was the exploit he had determined on attempting, and he further explained himself, operations which the enemy does not expect are almost certain to succeed if well carried out. Victory is always an answer to a charge of rashness. Valdivia, from its fortifications and from its natural strength, was looked upon as the Gibraltar of America. The Bay of Valdivia is an estuary into which the river Valdivia falls by two channels, forming an island known as the Isla del Rey. This estuary, which runs nearly due east and west, is about seven miles long, and its width at the mouth is about three miles, gradually diminishing until the width is little more than one mile, when the bay itself opens out in a magnificent sheet of water. In the centre of this bay, and in front of the western point of the Isla del Rey, stands a small island called the Mancera. On this bay there are several landing places, but only one port, the Corral, and the coasts on both sides are fringed with steep or perpendicular rocks and covered with dense brushwood. The bay has thus two coasts one to the south and other to the north which are separated by a wide space of open water by the river valdivia and by the isla del rey the northern part is inaccessible from the ocean but at the western extremity of the southern part there is a landing place where ships were accustomed to take in water at this time valdivia was defended by nine forts and batteries distributed on both sides of the bay and armed with one hundred and twenty-eight guns Two of these forts stood on the island, and commanded both mouths of the river. On the north, the entrance to the bay was guarded by an impregnable castle called the Niebla, cut out of the solid rock, and by a battery called Fort Piojo. On the south were the English fort, which commanded the watering place, the fort of San Carlos, on a small peninsula, and Fort Amargos, whose fire crossed that of the Niebla. The entrance was further defended by the Chorocomayo redoubt and by the castle of the Corral. Both these forts were masked by a dense forest, and the ground about them is so broken that their only communication by land was by a narrow path winding among the rocks and through the forest, and crossing a gully which was commanded by the guns of both forts. 
Valdivia was ordinarily garrisoned by 800 troops and by as many militia, but at this time the militia were absent. On the 18th of January, 1820, the O'Higgins sailed into the bay flying the Spanish flag. The Spaniards believed her to be the Prueba. Cochrane signalled for a pilot who was sent off to him with a guard of honour whom he made prisoners, and learned from them that the Portillo was expected with money to pay the troops. He then proceeded in his gig to inspect the entrance to the river, under fire of the forts, for by this time his true character was discovered. Two days afterwards he captured the Portillo, which had $20,000 on board, but seeing that he had not men enough for an attack upon the place, he then went off for Talcahuano in search of more. On the 22nd the O'Higgins reached Talcahuano and was fortunate enough to find there the Intrepido and the Montezuma. Colonel Freire, who was then in command of the fortress, eagerly entered into Cochrane's plans, and gave him 250 men under command of Major Boschev. With this reinforcement he sailed again for Valdivia. On leaving the harbour the O'Higgins struck on a rock, and commenced to make water rapidly, but the leak was patched up, Cochrane infusing his own spirit into his men, and declaring that she would float as far as Valdivia. When out of sight of land, he transshipped the marines from his flagship to the other two vessels, and went on with them, flying the Spanish flag till he arrived off the bay of Valdivia on the 3rd of February, and signalled to the English fort for a pilot. But his ruse was discovered, and the fort opened fire on him. Then, in spite of a heavy sea running, he determined to effect a landing in two long boats and a gig in which he went himself. At the sound of the cannonade, reinforcements had come up from the other forts, so that the garrison now numbered 360 men, of whom a detachment of 65 was thrown forward to protect the landing place. At sundown, Miller landed with 75 marines and drove in this detachment. He was followed by Beauchef with his 250 infantry, who pushed on up a narrow path, and drew on himself the fire of the garrison, while sub-lieutenant Vidal skirted the wall of the fort, and finding a side entrance, fired a volley in their rear, which so alarmed the defenders that they fled in panic, carrying with them the reserve, who were drawn up on an open space behind. Boschev vigorously pursued the fugitives from fort to fort along the narrow path, till at daybreak the English fort, San Carlos, Amargos, Chorocomayo and Corral were all in the hands of the patriots, who had only nine men killed and thirty-four wounded. One hundred of the enemy escaped in boats, as many more were killed, the rest were either prisoners or dispersed. At daybreak on the 4th, the Montezuma and Intrepido sailed into the bay under the fire of the northern ports. To dislodge the enemy from these positions, two hundred men were re-embarked, but the Intrepido ran on a sandbank of the island of Mancera and sank. Thus ended the career of the only Argentine ship which figured in the celebrated Chilean squadron of the Pacific. Soon afterwards the O'Higgins appeared, and the Spaniards, abandoning the northern forts and the islands, fled to the city. The O'Higgins was leaking so badly that she was ran aground in the mud to keep her from sinking. The next day the city was taken without resistance. Spain lost her last base of operations in the south of Chile, and Chile was now in possession of all her territory except the islands of Chiloe. Cochrane thought to finish his cruise by the capture of these islands, but Colonel Quintanilla, who was in command, was better prepared than was the garrison of Valdivia, 
a landing was effected on the 17th, a body of infantry was driven back and a battery was captured, but Miller, who led the assault on the principal fort, was again wounded and the attack was repulsed. But the dominion of the Pacific was secured and Cochrane returned in triumph. At Santiago he met San Martin, who, leaving Mendoza on the 20th of January, had again crossed the Andes in pursuit of his great enterprise, and now found the road to Peru opened for him by the heroism of the great admiral. End of chapter 22